Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to episode 23 of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, Shannon and I chat with Michelle Frolla, founder of the Intrepid Guide. She is a heritage language learner and someone with loads of useful expertise living and working abroad. Today, she'll be sharing these experiences with you. Some of the things we discuss are confidence in language learning, working abroad, the power of modal verbs, and what it's like living the Italian life. Loving the podcast? Let us know by leaving a review. We really appreciate all the reviews you've left so far, and doing so helps other language learners like yourself find us. Let us know what's working for you at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, we really appreciate hearing from you, and we read every single one. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com slash 23. And now, on to our interview with Michelle. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. And we're joined today by Michelle. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? Very good. And uh, Michelle runs the Interpret Guide, and uh, it's a great blog and a series of like social media. She's very active on Instagram and, uh, and elsewhere, and we're really interested to hear her story. And of course, I'm joined as always with my co-host, Shannon. Hello, everyone. And um, yeah, so let's kick things off by just hearing, like, what is your uh, background? How did you get into languages and uh, what's your family history that's connected to that? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a a story there, which um, sort of helps connect the dots a little bit. And it goes back to when, well, even before I was born, basically. So my dad is Italian. Um, so he comes from the region of Puglia in Italy. And after the Second World War, uh, he and his family immigrated to Australia. Uh, so he grew up in the Italian community in Melbourne, Australia. And he grew up speaking Italian at home. And then he learned English, obviously, when he went to school. So Italian has always been the language that he spoke growing up. But he never knew how to read it or write it. Um, fast forward to when he was an adult and he married my mum, who is Australian, Irish, um, and Lebanese descent. Uh, they got married and had three daughters. I'm the youngest. Uh, and when I was, uh, born, my dad decided that he would name me after my nonno, who, which is Italian for grandfather. Um, but no one knows in Australia that Michele is actually Michael in Italian. So everyone just sort of, oh, it's just a funky spelling of the name Michelle. But that sort of helped to form my identity a little bit. And when I was younger, I would go and visit my nonna. So my nonna, she had, had passed away uh, when I was two or three. Um, so every time I would go and visit my nonna, we we didn't connect on a verbal level. We connected more on like a physical level. So we were very sort of affectionate, you know, how Italians can be really affectionate and they show how much they care for you by cuddling you and and all this sort of stuff. So I felt really connected with him, even though I couldn't speak to him. Um, And it was frustrating. And then I think it was about like 
seven, eight, nine years old where I would sort of, Dad, I, you know, like I, I wouldn't be able to talk to no, no, but I don't know what to say. And he's like, well, let's start with, you know, commissai, you know. So we'd like on the drive back home, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to time myself 10 minutes. All right, Dad's going to quiz me in 10 minutes and I have to remember how to say commissai, commissai, you know, how are you? And it sort of started from there. It didn't really lead to anything, but I just, I wanted to sort of have a stab at saying something to him. Um, but it wasn't until my nonna passed away when I was about 17 years old that something just sort of went off inside me. It was just like a flick of a switch. I'm like, right, I have to do something about this. I have to, you know, I've got his name, like we've got the exact same name, like there are no middle names really in Italian. So Michele Frolla. And I just wanted to do it to sort of to to sort of help more like to carry on his legacy of who he was. And my dad was, you know, in such awe of my nonna and everything he had done for his family. And I just felt like I owed it to him to to honour him by wanting to learn his language and find out more about him and to find out the things that I couldn't actually ask him by learning about his history and his culture and where he came from and the hardships of, you know, growing up in a really tiny village in Italy. So that was the reason why I decided to start learning Italian. And the first thing I did was, you know, this is before I was, you know, working. So I was still in high school. I picked up a travel phrase guide and I just started looking at the phrases and I'm like lying in bed thinking, wow, how do people learn languages? You know, this, this is fun, but it looks like really challenging. Like, how do you actually do it? And then I finished high school. Um, then I started university. So I went, um, studied a completely different field in IT as a web designer. And as I was sort of working part-time as well, I had money to spend on investing in language courses. So I started going to um, a night school for learning Italian once a week. And it got to the point where, you know, as most language courses do, there weren't enough students for the course to continue on. But I kept, you know, looking and trying to see if there were other courses that I could take. And I eventually, uh, once I'd moved closer to, um, well, sorry, found a job closer to Melbourne City Centre, because I'm, I'm originally from a bit further away, um, that I found um, the Italian Institute, um, uh, what is it called, the CIS, the Centre of Institute of Studies in Melbourne. So I went to that as a night school, sorry, CAE, um, Centre of Adults uh, Education, CAE. And then there was CHIS, which is the Centre of Italian Studies in Carlton, which is like the Italian community in Melbourne. And then we had, um, I had a colleague who had moved to Australia with his Australian girlfriend who was from Milan. So I would do private lessons with him. So I ended up studying, you know, Italian three times a week. I had that accountability, which I loved and needed. And it just got to the point where I wanted to take my Italian to the next level. Like I was constantly surrounding myself as much as I could with the language. I would go to Italian restaurants. Um, I would go to the uh, Italian film festival. I would like it would be on for two weeks and I would pretty much see most of the movies that were on. So after work, I would go and see like two or three movies that I could fit in after work. Like I was, I was obsessed and I just loved it. I just thought, you know, this is great. And I just, I felt more and more disconnected from living a typical Australian life. Like I could only really connect with other students that I was learning Italian with. Only they really understood what it's like. Um, so then I said to dad, I said to my dad, I said, I really, I think I want to move to Italy. Like I want to give this a go. 
and he was all for it and he was super proud. Um, but before I did that, I'd like, oh, let's, let's go on a trip. Like I want to go by myself and just to see how I can survive and what it's really like. So I spent seven weeks uh, in Italy. I spent three weeks in Rome and I was doing uh, language classes in the morning when I had the afternoon free. Then I did the same for two weeks in Florence. And then I headed up to Venice and spent some time with uh, one of my previous um, Italian uh, teachers who had moved back to Italy. So after that, um, I went back home and then within three months, I quit my job and I moved to Rome. And that was sort of the beginning of living overseas and using Italian and a foreign language to get through daily life. So, yeah, that's a <laughs> not so very short explanation of how it sort of started for me. Um, people often say that the language a relationship starts in is the language that the relationship stays in. And with your father, because you kind of have this history of speaking English to him at home, kind of learning a little bit of Italian and learning Italian on your own. Do you and your father still speak English together? Or do you speak Italian with one another now? No, we still speak English. Um, and that's because... <sighs> So he, he speaks a dialect, which is quite challenging for me to understand. It's, it's a very specific dialect, um, in a regional part of Italy. So that's a bit of a challenge for me to understand. But also my dad doesn't speak like proper Italian. So it's like, say, for example, like there's two ways of saying I love you in Italian, like ti voglio bene and ti amo. Ti amo is like, you know, I love you. Like I'm in love with you. This is like a, like a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever sort of relationship, an intimate relationship. And then ti voglio ben is like, I really care about you. So when I say to my dad, you know, ti voglio ben, he'll respond to me with ti amo. So those sorts of things, like he's not really, you know, he doesn't understand the difference. And I just, not to confuse things, I'm just like, we just, we just keep it in English. But um but yeah, he would have heated arguments with my grandparents about, oh, you should be speaking Italian with them. And it's like, yeah, we say it this way, but it should be said that way. And they would have these heated debates. So that's why we never um, learned Italian growing up. So, yeah, we just uh, speak in English now. And I'm, I'm curious how uh, your Italian would have developed once you had moved to Rome. What was your strategy to uh, continue to push it forward? And uh, how was that experience? Yeah, so uh, when I got to Rome, I was about a B1 level, um, but the confidence to speak wasn't there. So um, I I attended meetups to meet other Italians. Sometimes they didn't go so well, but there was one person who lived in my neighborhood and we would go on walks around the neighborhood and he would sort of show me around um, the area and then we would talk. So it was a really sort of nice way not to sort of sit down at a table and stare at each other, but just sort of to walk and to talk. And that was a really good way for me to build up my confidence because I didn't feel like I needed to impress him. He wanted to practice his English. I wanted to practice my Italian. And he was just sort of, um, you know, he spoke really well. He didn't have like a thick accent and he was really good at explaining things. So that was my first experience was sort of continuing on with my learning and improving of Italian. Um, but I also enrolled in the school that I had gone to previously when I was there on a, like a language holiday. Um, so yeah, I went to classes there every week. Um, and then because I was working in an Italian company, I was surrounded by Romans and their Roman dialects. So I, now I start to speak, well, when I do speak Italian, I have like a Roman twang, 
which someone pointed out to me a couple of years after I was living in Rome. And I'm like, really? Like, that's kind of cool. Like, I never realized. Um, but yeah, no, I basically the things that I was doing in Australia, like going to class, watching films, going to the cinema, all that sort of thing, I still did in Italy. The only difference then was that I would need to speak a time when I needed to buy a metro ticket or I would need to you know, talk to the um, the sales clerks, you know, in shops and supermarkets. And it was just more opportunities to use and figure out, oh, I don't even know how to say plastic bag. How do I say that? So it was just sort of, you know, the everyday um, exposure to it really helped. Rome is a major city in Italy. And one of the issues that a lot of learners run into when they're in major cities uh, is that native speakers pick out that they're not native speakers rather quickly and they switch to English. So I would imagine because you're going out into the street or into stores where English might be spoken as well as Italian. um, Did you ever like face this issue? And if you did, what did you do to get it back into Italian? Actually, I never sort of came across that before when when I moved to Italy and was living there. Like I, I spoke it well enough that they didn't need to use English. And if I didn't know how to say something, I might default to English. And, but I would ask them, like, you know, how do you say, you know, size? Like if I was buying a pair of jeans and I didn't know how to say size. And they if they spoke English, then they would tell me. But I never had to really deal with that problem of, uh, you know, making someone switch back into you know, the, the local language. So I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I just, I don't let it, most of the time if they do that, they want to practice their English. And I already know that it's quite challenging for them with their school curriculum that maybe they don't have too many opportunities or they're really nervous anyway and they don't want to. So they'll just stay with Italian. They just assume that I speak better Italian than they speak English. Um, so, yeah. So you've actually uh, created your own course, uh, Master Italian for Travel Fast. So um, we've heard your story, but I'm curious, what kind of strategies do you advise for other people in that course and in general uh, for mastering Italian quickly? And especially for people uh, who wouldn't have the opportunity to do something like move to Rome uh, right now, maybe it's in their future. Like, what is the strategy and the tips that you would give for people uh, for mastering Italian? Yeah, I mean, I guess if there, if time is an issue, like you got, you know, you got a trip coming up and you need to sort of uh, learn a working part of Italian, then I would focus on the most essential parts of the language. So I love modal verbs. Modal verbs were something that I really clung on to when I first started uh, studying Italian. Um, and modal verbs are just, you know, a great way to sort of cheat your way into being able to construct sentences really quickly. So I can, I must, I want, and then you don't need to conjugate the verbs. You can just put the whole infinitive afterwards. So I think that's sort of a nice way to sort of, to start off. It sort of gives you a bit more confidence. Um, I'm a bit of a social learner. I like to go to classes. I know that's not for everyone, but I just find that it's really great for accountability no matter how busy I am, I know that there's a certain time every week or, you know, every couple of days or so where I'm going to class. And that's a really nice way to make sure that you keep on track. Um, some people prefer to work or to study by themselves. That's not for me. I like to put it into practice. I like to ask lots of questions. Uh, and it's a great way to obviously practice speaking the language. Um, but, yeah, there are so many methods that um, that are available. One of my favorites is the Michelle Thomas method. 
that was a real game changer for me and it was something that I used a lot when I was studying Italian and I would listen to his uh, audio courses on the train because um, I had a long commute time between home and getting to work. So it was an hour and a half er- uh, each way every day. So I would drive, I would listen to it uh, in the car on a CD. <laughs> then I would jump on the train, which is you know, a bit old school, jump on the train, listen to it on my iPod, and it would just sort of fill my ears every morning. So I made, I made sure to make the most of that sort of downtime or that time where I don't need to concentrate on anything else. And I think that was what really pushed me forward because I was still going to class um, and but I, I supplemented my learning with extra material that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, Michelle Thomas was great uh, for me to be able to do that. So, yeah, other languages that he offers. Uh, so I used the same thing. I was learning French um, and then he's only got the intro of the a starter course in Norwegian, which is what I'm learning now. So I, I wish that they had like the full foundational and advanced course, but they don't. Um, so it's a bit of a different experience now that I'm learning Norwegian. But yeah, I think finding something that, um, that works within your time, uh, your, you know, your schedule throughout the day and making the most of those pockets of, you know, empty time that you can fill in with, you know, things like, you know, podcasts, audio courses and things like that are really great. Since you've mentioned a couple of specific resources like in-person classes and the Michelle Thomas audio courses, are there any other particular resources that you've found really helpful as you were learning? Um, I like to use Mondly app for vocabulary and Utalk as well is really good. I've discovered a bit more recently. Um, Utalk is great because you can also record your voice and it plays it back to you and incorporates it as part of a quiz which I really like, um, sort of helps you connect the dots with your voice and how you say things and matching it to keywords um, and Mondly as well. So really just short lessons just to sort of fill in time. If I don't feel like concentrating on an audio course, but I want to do something um, or maybe, you know, um, but yeah, I, I really like those two apps. Um, I, I also... I used to sit down with uh, pen and paper and watch movies and sort of pause it every time I would see, um, you know, something in the subtitles that I hadn't learned before. So I really like watching Italian movies, as I said. So I used to buy the DVDs that they had for sale at the Italian Film Festival, take them home, put the subtitles on and just follow along afterwards. So after the, the, uh, the festival had finished and it would be available to purchase. And that was really good because not only did I enjoy the film and I already sort of knew um, the plot, that I didn't need to focus so much on what was happening. I could just focus on the vocabulary. Um, so I would sit down and I would write it out. And that pen to paper action is so much more valuable than just typing it, I've noticed. Years later that I'm, I rely a lot more on Google Docs, which wasn't around back then, but if I physically write it down with a pen and paper, I remember it a lot better than if I just put it into, you know, notes on my phone or on a Google Doc. So I'm getting back into that more now that I'm learning Norwegian and um, watching TV series that are available outside of Norway and pausing it, looking at the subtitles and writing it down. And then if I'm so, if it's like a, an expression that I can't find, you know, what the definition is, and I'll have something to talk about on my next iTalki lesson. So iTalki is another one that I love. Especially during lockdown, I rely on that heavily. Um, but even my language classes now have been moved online. So, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that that is now possible because back when I was learning Italian, 
having online classes wasn't really a thing like it is now. And how has your experience learning Norwegian been different to your Italian experience? And how far along are you so far? So <laughs> I just received um, a certificate in my email yesterday that I've reached B1 in Norwegian. Um, I don't feel like, <laughs> thank you. I still don't feel like I speak at a B1 level. I think maybe my grammar is at the B1 level, but speaking and definitely my listening comprehension isn't where I would like it to be. Um, and I think the challenge with Norwegian is that there are so many different accents and dialects in Norway. And that, and that in itself is interesting because Norway is divided by its geography. So, there are so many mountains and fjords and it can, even though distance wise, it might, you know, villages might be really close to each other, but there could be like a massive mountain in between these two villages. And for centuries, these two villages couldn't speak to each other. And it sort of created so many different pockets of accents and dialects and vocabulary. Um, but Norway is great because they do support and encourage people to continue with their dialects. They don't sort of suppress that. Once upon a time, maybe it wasn't the case. Um, so on TV and TV shows, um, on the news, they will have like a nice mix of different accents from different parts of Norway. Um, so, but my challenge is, is I need to focus on watching more TV series. So I'm watching Side by Side, which is Sida Om Sida. Um, and there are, yeah, there's a couple in there that have a very sort of different accent that I really struggle to understand. So that's something I need to work on. But in terms of how my experience has been different in learning Norwegian versus um, learning Italian is that there there's so many there's so much more to choose from in terms of resources when it comes to learning more well-known languages or more popular languages like Italian and French and Spanish and it's quite limit, limiting with learning Norwegian um, as an example they don't have their full Michelle Thomas course that I want <laughs> um, and this is the first time that I've decided to take my uh, language learning online because there aren't too many schools that offer teaching Norwegian. I'm lucky that here in London there is. So I go to Cactus Language School. They teach Norwegian. But I'm always nervous that there won't be enough students to go to the next level. So, But we do have a really sort of good group. Like everyone's learning Italian because either they're going to move there or their partner is Norwegian. So that's good, but I always make sure that um, I uh, supplement my learning with italki so I can get more speaking practice and just to, to clarify any grammar points that I wasn't sort of, you know, understanding really well in, uh, in class. So, yeah, I think that's probably the main difference. Do you ever use language laddering where you learn one of like French or Norwegian through Italian, for example? So I did that actually when I was in Italy because um, I, I knew in the back of my mind that, right, once I feel comfortable and confident with Italian, I would love to learn French. And that came about probably my second year into living in Rome that I started learning uh, French at the French Institute. So everyone there, the, the default language would be, you would go back to Italian if people couldn't understand something like, oh, yeah, it's just like this in Italian. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just like that in English. <laughs> like I couldn't ask the question. Like the teacher just like no English, you know, it's just, uh, it's either a little bit of Italian or it's all French. Um, but since then, I haven't really used it too much. Um, I think when I get grammar books, they're either completely in English or they're completely in Norwegian. And I think that's probably 
just the nature of learning a language that is less popular. And in terms of, because uh, you've you've got a detailed website, uh, where, where did the, you come up with the name Interpret Guide and what kind of countries have you visited and have you dabbled in other languages uh, through this experience? Yeah, so the Intrepid Guide is a mixture of two things. So, I mean, I don't know where to start because I can go back a long way with this as well. So the reason why I started the Intrepid Guide was I had just moved to London and I was really missing the whole speaking a foreign language every day. Um, and there was a, a conversation that I overheard from a colleague uh, speaking to someone else like, oh, you should just create a blog, you know, create videos and post them up and then you can live off it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, blogs, you know, I'm like, what is a blog? <laughs> I totally missed the boat. I totally did not know that you could even, you know, have, uh, you know, live off the income from a blog. But he sort of introduced me to it and I, yeah, sort of researched it. Like, yeah, you know, this could be a good outlet for me to continue on talking about travel, learning languages. Um, and I just sat, I sat with it for a couple of weeks and I was thinking, oh, what could I call it? And then I recalled um, just like a, an off-the-cuff comment from uh, a comment that my auntie had made to, you, made to me a few years ago when I was posting all my travel experiences in Italy. She's like, oh, Michelle, you should do something with all this because I would always share really informative Facebook posts. So if I'd gone somewhere, I would share about the history. Like it was never about me. It was about the place I was going to. So, oh, this is fascinating. Like you should do something with it. I don't know, write a book. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what to do. And I sort of connected those two things that maybe there is an interest in, you know, people wanting to learn a bit more about what I'm doing. So that's when I decided I was actually going to start the Intrepid Guide. And the name comes from the fact that being intrepid, you know, traveling, adventurous, doing things outside of your comfort zone, seeing the world. And the guide part comes from the fact that when I was living in Italy, I would have a lot of friends come and visit me and I would act as their tour guide. I would take them around. I would show them things. And I, I love teaching people things about um, you know, the different parts of Rome, you know, certain fountains or different piazzas or the history behind you know, the Pantheon. And like, I, I was basically their guide. I'm like, Oh, Michelle, you should be a guide. I'm like, yeah, well, it's quite difficult to be like a professional, you know, and an official guide, but that sort of, that passing comment stuck with me. So I sort of just connected those two words and I thought, you know, I'm the intrepid guide. I'm taking people along with me in my travels and sharing with them what I learned. So my blog isn't too much about me. It's more about the places that I visit and how how much excitement and pleasure I get from sharing that information with other people. So, yeah. You've mentioned confidence a few times now in your stories, and I'm curious to know if this is something that you've kind of always had or if it's something that you've kind of grown into and what your advice would be to someone who maybe doesn't have the confidence to put themselves out there with languages or with travel in the same way that you do. Yeah, I mean, some people look at me and at face like, oh, you look so confident. You seem so confident. I mean, I guess I am a little bit, but I'm still quite scared underneath. And there's just a certain point that if you really want something, you have to push through that fear. Um, so when I speak Italian, like if I haven't been speaking Italian for a while, I will get really nervous, especially if it's like a big group of Italians. I will sort of just stay quiet, let my ear sort of get used to listening to the sounds again. But I think that having that one-on-one -on -one time um, in the beginning when I first moved to Rome, like I was petrified. It's easy when you're speaking to a complete stranger. 
but he helped me to sort of come out of my shell a little bit and realize actually I know more than I think I know like I can handle myself better than I think I can but there is something that has sort of come across my path more recently and that was something that Ollie Richards had said um and I mean it's been around and I've sort of maybe heard it in passing but I think it had come in a time in my life where I needed to hear it and that is to lean into the fear and that's such a great sort of motto for anything in life like if you don't want to do something or if you're really scared about doing something that if you just sort of just take the first step and just see how that goes and then just figure it out from there and this sort of goes back into uh Benny you mentioned in a previous podcast um that you had had you know a girl that wanted to you know practice her English and she was too scared to go and talk to the Americans, but you just sort of led her over, then you ran off and she didn't have a choice. So she said she had to, you know, she had to survive. So I just sort of, I'm, I'm like, I'm a really good self-starter anyway, but, you know, there are certain things that I just, like I always get nervous um, before any italki lesson, but I'm like, if I can get through the first five minutes, then I know that I'm going to be fine for the rest of the lesson. It's just that, that mental hurdle that you have to get over. Um, and it's also, you know, like sometimes you don't want to go to the gym, but you realize that once you're there, you know, you love it. Like you get the endorphin rush. It's just getting over that first hurdle, which is the hardest part. But once you get over that, it becomes, it's not such a big deal after all. So I kind of like to remind myself that just, just lean into the fear and go for it. Take the first step and that it'll, you know, it'll all figure itself out anyway. It's nothing to worry about. And with all of the, the travel experience you have, I'm curious what has uh, your Italian and now your Norwegian, have they opened up any interesting experiences to you? Oof. Okay. So I've made so many friends through learning Italian, um, but also um, other international friends that are English speakers. So my friendship circle has completely changed to what it was in Australia. And that's what I love about being able to learn a language and speak it, even if it's not perfect, because any effort is really appreciated, especially when I was really sort of shy in the beginning when I first moved to Rome. So I still catch up with my friends that I had made when I was living in Rome. We'd all all of us except for one have moved to different countries. Um, but every year we always have a girls' trip because it's a big group of us and we all come back together and we all have Rome as that sort of place that we all connected and we became each other's family. Um, and then all my Italian friends that I had made that I actually made through my Italian teacher, he saw how enthusiastic I was and that I wanted to learn Italian and he put me in contact with his friends and they just, you know, I was really nervous to reach out to them. I'm like, oh, I don't want you know, to burden them. But they were like, Michelle, you know, you're going to come out. You know, we want to meet you. And, and they became my Italian family. And it made it really hard when I had to leave Italy um, in the end. But, you know, it doesn't matter how much time passes. They are still my friends. They're still my family. And it's just so wonderful to be able to see them um, every time I go back and to spend time with them. And that's why I love Rome so much is not only is it a wonderful city, but they make it wonderful by having, you know, by by including me in their world and their experiences and going out and having aperitivo and just living the Italian life that I, you know, was completely different from the life that I was living in Australia where the focus was, um, you know, on sort of like advancing your career and climbing the corporate ladder. That whole mindset completely 
was reversed when I moved to Italy. Like the focus was on friendships and relationships and spending time together and enjoying life. And people weren't talking about work. People were like, oh, what are we doing this weekend? Or let's go here or let's go there. There's, you know, there's, a new, uh, you know, there's a new market or there's a new club that's opening. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't going out and getting smashed and sort of, you know, just wasting our 20s. It was like having like bonding time together and deepening the relationships. And I just, I loved it. It was it was a nice reset on not sort of going down that rabbit hole of, you know, I've got to do this, I've got to get, you know, earn this amount, then I have to buy a house and I have to settle down and have a family. Like I just, it was a nice time to sort of reassess what I want out of life. Um, so, yeah, I learned a lot from living in Italy. But now I forgot what your original question was because now I've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was essentially that, uh, what kind of experiences languages have given you. And I think friendship, is is by far the best experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thing with Norwegian now too. Um, because I go to classes, I I connect with other students because we've all got this language in common, right? Um, and, you know, we'll catch up about, you know, we'll go to the pub and have a drink and it's just, it creates like a nice social network. Um, so, yeah, friendship and obviously now that I work full time on the Intrepid Guide, like that has given me the opportunity to also share that with others and just com- completely change my so-called career. You know, if we want to use that term, that I've been able to um, to change the direction. You know, I used to work in IT, and now I work more so in like travel slash education environments. It's very different, but the skills that I learned working as a web designer are now helping me to create something new and different. So nothing is ever wasted. So if you spend, you know, a few years doing one thing and you can take those skills and trans, you know, translate them and make them work for you in another area. So it's just, it's been a nice progression because I was ready to make a change in my career. I just didn't know what that was. And because I had lived in Italy um, and learned Italian, I was learning French. Um, then I started with Afrikaans and then a little bit of Arabic and now Norwegian. It just sort of, it felt right. And I, that was what, and still is my, my favorite thing to do. Like, I just, I love it. It's really addictive. (laughs) If someone wanted to do something similar and was learning a language, language with the ultimate goal of living in the place, given that you've done this, what would, if you had to pick like three things that you'd give to them as advice, what would those three things be? To, like to learn the language and then to move to a country where that language is spoken. Um, I would definitely, I mean, obviously living in a country is very different from just traveling there. And that's why I traveled to Italy first by myself to see what it would be like, how people would treat me, how I would feel. Um, and obviously the opportunities there for work because I, I wanted to make sure that I could actually find a job. And that was one of the reasons why I chose Rome after, um, instead of say Florence or, you know, Venice, for example. Um, so I would definitely travel to the destination first. I would get to a point where you're comfortable with the language, but you don't necessarily need to be fluent. So I was B1 and that just helps you get the foot in the door, especially when it comes to interviews. And that helped me a lot. Um, having that international experience was really valuable for me. That was one of the reasons why they, they hired me. They told me afterwards, <laughs> um, they didn't care that I, my Italian wasn't perfect. You know, that can come later. And you know, that I'm, and I was so grateful because I thought that that was going to be the main thing that doesn't matter so much about my skills. I have to be able to communicate because the skills can come later. Um, so I definitely focus on getting the language up to speed. 
Um, and also, yeah, job opportunities. Um, someone else actually recently messaged me about, you know, what's a, you know, about specifically moving to Rome. Like you gotta have, you gotta have, um, a bit of flexi- flexibility when it comes to your finances because you don't know how long it's going to take to find a job. So um, with Italy, for example, they don't really hire people, you know, just by interviewing them on the internet. It's very much one-in-one contact, seeing you, getting a feel for, you know, if you'd be a good fit for the company. So you, you may even need to fly to that country to do interviews so they can get that one-on-one. Um, I know that's a similar thing for Norway as well. They like to meet you and to see if you're a good fit for the company environment. So I guess that's still something that is around at the moment, even in like, you know, um, in Scandinavia where they're so, like we look up to them and being so advanced and so modern and progressive. But yeah, Italians are the same as well. You Norwegians, they want that face-to-face contact. So I would definitely spend some time on the ground looking for a job, but even on the internet, just to see if there is anything that you would be interested in doing. Like it it can be quite challenging. And that was one of the reasons why I had to leave in the end was because I had been working in the same company for three years and I was ready for a new challenge. Um, And there just wasn't anything. I, I tried looking in Milan. There was nothing there. And it just, it broke my heart. But in the end, I had to leave for lacking you know job opportunities but also in terms of my visa it's a little bit complicated but long story short I don't have a European passport um so my time was effectively up and I needed to make a decision quickly so I could come to the UK on a separate visa so I think it's it's a mixture of research seeing what it would be like not just to travel to a place but what it'd be like to live there because there is a lot of red tape in some in some countries um but uh, yeah, research and finance as well, having like a bit of a not letting money be an issue because I didn't have a job for so three months, I think. And I, that made me really nervous, you know, um, but I found out later that that was normal by Italian standards, not to be able to find a job. Um, and they thought that, wow, you found a job within three months. That's great. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I felt really stressful at the time. Like I was like, oh. That whole time I was like, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I have to go back to Australia. But I was determined to make it work. So I kept looking and I eventually found something that I loved. Um, and I stayed with them for three years. So this is, of course, the Language Hacking Podcast. And one question we like to ask people is, what do they understand as language hacking? Because I know I know you write about travel hacking yourself. So what uh, do you have a, an understanding yourself of what it would mean to have a language hack? What is that in your mind? Uh, well, I feel like, I mean, there are so many different methods that you can adopt and you have to find the right method for you. So you can waste a lot of time doing certain things that don't give you pleasure in the learning process. So for me, language hacking, hacking is finding a process or a procedure or a different approach to learning languages that is different from maybe what other people are doing. Like you really sort of hack your way through different things. So you can spend too much time, maybe, you know, language classes aren't for you and you think that that's the only way to do it. But if you're not feeling like you're progressing, then you need to have a look at different alternatives. Um, I was fortunate enough that, you know, that I really like it. I didn't need to hack my way around it too much. But if there's something that you're using, like there's a textbook that it doesn't give you pleasure to use or you're finding that something's a bit too difficult, you need to keep changing it up. If it's not, if you're not um, constantly 
pushing yourself, but also if you're not finding pleasure in it, then it's not going to serve you. You're not going to reach your goals. Um, I, I feel like, you know, people may think that you need to use, um, say, like uh, language apps, but you're not going to get fluent from a language app. It's just one resource to use. So you really need to try and find different resources that you use for different things to help you focus on different parts of improving your language skills. So for me, for Norwegian, I really need to focus on that listening comprehension. So I asked my iTalking teacher, look, I, there are so many different things that I could watch. Like on Netflix, there are so many like political dramas in Norwegian, but I really don't enjoy them. Like I need, I need something else. She's like, well, how about this? And she sent me like a list of all these different Norwegian TV shows that I could choose from. She's like, well, what do you like? Do you like romance, like comedy? And that's when I came across uh, Sida Om Sida side by side. And now I love enjoy, I love watching that. I enjoy watching it. And that really helps me to go to the next level. So hacking for me is more, you know, don't just sort of follow what other people say. You really have to find what works for you. And you mentioned that you're currently learning Norwegian. What other sort of projects do you have going on at the moment, whether for your blog or for language learning? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty happy with the way things are going with Norwegian. Like I said, I want to focus more on my uh, listing comprehension. So I'm going to stick with Norwegian for a little bit longer. Um, but in terms of the Intrepid Guide, I'm working on creating online courses now to help people take that first step and introduce them into the language specifically for travel. So I've released my Italian language course and I've almost finished my French one. So that'll be coming out very soon as well. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I want to make that process easy for people to get into because I think one of my pet peeves with travel phrase guides is that there is so many words and phrases in there and you're not going to remember all of that. You need like a fun way to just learn the essentials to survive in travel situations. And the reason why I wanted to create these courses, not only to make it easier, but just to sort of get people's appetite a little bit wet by the excitement that you get from learning and speaking a language and that pleasure that you get. Um, and just sort of to, you know, just to take, again, take the first step and see if you like it and then discover for yourself the pleasure that you get that once you get on the ground, you, know, you can introduce yourself properly. You can ask for directions. You can order that croissant or you can order that pizza with confidence and you feel like, that, oh, you know, this is fun. <laughs> so I want to help people to try and discover that enjoyment by themselves without, um, you know, just sort of having a book as the only option because there are so many sections in these travel phrase guides that you're not going to use, you know, like there's complete sections on how to pick up people and flirt with people. And I'm like, do people actually use these sections? <laughs> um, maybe they do as a joke. Yeah, they all seem to have will you marry me in yeah. that section. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand what <laughs> realistic world would someone actually be proposing from a phrase book yeah. for beginners, you know? And like bizarre pickup lines, like really cheesy pickup lines too. And I'm like, oh, I, don't, I think this could have been put to better use. Um, but yeah, it's sort of reimagining what a travel phrase guide book is and focusing on uh, the vocabulary and the essential parts of the language that you can reuse in different situations. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to, uh, we'll be sure to add links to your blog and uh, your social media in our show notes. So people can check that out on languagehacking.com, of course. 
and um, they can see what you've got working on, what you're working on. So thank you very much for joining us for the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you both so much. It's been a real honor to be here with you both. Yeah. And until the next one, we wish everybody very happy language learning. Happy language learning. In each episode, Shannon and I like to share a key takeaway that you can take action on and put into play right away in your language learning. And in this chat, Michelle shares how learning modal verbs gave her a huge head start. And it's something she does now with every language she learns. Wondering what modal verbs are? These are verbs that express ability, obligation, possibility, and so on. The verbs like can, must, may, might, will, would, and should. If you can't conjugate a bunch of verbs yet, these are great shortcuts to help you keep a sentence grammatically correct until you do. Do you know these verbs in your language? If not, now's the time to learn them. We hope you enjoyed this interview because we definitely found our chat with Michelle very interesting. Thank you for listening. And if you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com review. Until next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.